You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 269. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Sklar. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. You have reached another Local Maximum. Uh, Today, I want to talk about this... There's been a flurry of activity in the space of AI startups recently, and this has been predated by several years, I think, uh, from the the recent interest uh, driven by ChatGPT. These are real businesses that are starting up that are focused on solving real problems, which is a really good place to be uh, in an industry. Um, I know there's a lot of bad news with startups recently with the uh, 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 Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I think I'm going to have to get Aaron on to talk about that, uh, to give some good analysis on that. Uh, I've started kind of soliciting ideas on the locals. But today we're going to talk about the good news, the, the, the businesses that are being built up uh, with AI that are, are, are starting and starting to sprout all over the place or have been sprouting for many years all over the place, to be honest. Uh, I think part of this is driven by the amazing amount of technical tools and knowledge built up over the years, helped by uh, research institutions, uh, some of which, some at universities, some of big tech companies, lots of work by lots of people over many years, but then also those companies themselves not being able to deliver to the market all of the benefits that these technologies uh, might be able to bring forth. So we're going to be talking about some of these examples this year, certainly, and and today, and and some of the entrepreneurs and developers who are making this happen. Uh, One example is the recent interview with Jason Syverson in episode 258 that I did uh, on Sports Visio. In fact, you'd be interested to know that today, yes, this day, March 13th, 2023, I started a new job at a company called winware.ai, and I'm sure Aaron will interview me on that at some point. Uh, but today's interview isn't about those. Today's interview is all about health and dermatology. Uh, if you have ever worked with or have used our healthcare system recently, uh, and you listen to this show, you, you might be wondering whether they can take advantage of the proliferation of AI and deep learning technology that is that is available. So we're going to talk to the founder of a company in that space, a company that is helping dermatology customers with uh, vision recognition AI. Uh, this is really um, interesting. This is really exciting stuff if you think about vision recognition from the home. In fact, uh, you'll hear in the interview that they have launched in New Hampshire. They launched in Connecticut. And most recently, I went to a launch party of theirs in Boston on Thursday night because they launched in Massachusetts. So they're, they're growing, they're expanding states. My next guest is the CEO and co-founder of Piction Health, Susan Conover. You've reached the local maximum. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. And Thank you so much for coming in person in the local Maximum studio. Uh, it's always a lot of fun to, to do that. And um, while we have this studio up here, it's always great to talk to like entrepreneurs in the, in the Boston area. So thank you so much for coming out. Um, you found an interesting application of image recognition with Piction Health. So let's just start. Just tell us about it. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I was originally diagnosed with melanoma when I was 22, I tried to go see a dermatologist and was told it would take at least three months to get in. And so I went to my PCP who biopsied my mole and it ended up being a stage two. So, you know, sort of basically like if I hadn't, if I, if I had waited, I might not be here. 
And so that sort of sparked my interest in dermatology and in access to care. Um, but I'm originally trained as a mechanical engineer, worked in management consulting, and then focused my product master's degree on, um, on this topic at MIT. So this is very personal for you. Um, so tell me a little bit about the product that you've created and, and like what people are, what people are using it for currently. Yeah, absolutely. So we have an end to end, um, like dermatologist experience for patients at home. So they go to our website, um, on their phone, answer a few questions, uh, take a few photos of their concerning skin, hair, or nail issue, and then um, submit that case. And then within 48 hours, we have one of our dermatologists review that case, diagnose that case, um, develop a personalized care plan for that person. And so it's uh, high-quality care, convenient, affordable, because our ultimate goal is to make sure everyone can get access to high-quality dermatology care. So where does uh, the image recognition uh, uh, fit into this, and why are you able to get people dermatologists so fast when it takes, like you said, months to get in? in yeah, normal? of course. So our machine learning really comes in on our back end. There are many different points um, that can be inefficient in a sort of regular experience, like if you don't give a person any guidance on how to take a high quality photo, 50% of the photos won't be readable by really? dermatologists because they'll be focused on a table in the background or, you know, people think they can take it closer to the skin than they can. So it'll be just too blurry, that sort of thing. Yeah. And so it's that's a problem when you take a picture of like a document that I didn't realize that it could happen with. Oh, with skin, because yeah. like, you know, if you if you think about it, even if you're taking it close up to your skin, it may focus on the hairs and not the actual skin condition underneath. So that's one stage that we use machine learning in order to provide feedback of like, hey, take a, you know, take a better photo. And we'd like to get it to the point where it's like scanning a check and uploading that to your bank. Um, also routing, making sure if cases can be easily managed by a nurse practitioner, then we route those more straightforward cases to them versus if it's a more complex case, you make sure you want to have a dermatologist assessing that case. All of our cases are reviewed, of course, by a dermatologist, but the original um, person evaluating it, um, a few different other places as well that we've used machine learning in order to make sure we're delivering high quality care. Um, our sort so, of so are, are all the images uh, analyzed by your um, by your image classification by your machine learning algorithms? Yes, yeah, and that's yeah. how we know. Oh, it's likely to be a easier case of acne, or it could be hydrogenitis superativa, which is a much more complex disease. That sort of thing. Why wouldn't I mean? <laughs> it, it almost seems like there should be a website where you can upload the image and it just tells you what it is or is that like too dangerous to put in the hands <laughs> of just average web users well that i mean that's the origin story right is like a few years ago i just thought hey what if i could take a photo of a mole and understand what it was right and this if i just is... had the software myself or i had some web you know thing yeah but um that runs into some regulatory challenges and mm. business model challenges and so we just we realized that making sure every case is reviewed by an expert, but making sure our machine learning is streamlining that process so it's a great experience for patients and providers is sort of what we've ultimately ended up making. Cool. So I, I want to talk more about the product, but how are your engineers like finding 
uh, training data for all of this, and then and then also like what what software they're using. So let's start with the training data. Like where how, how are, you, are you sitting there like labeling? skin and you know that's the that's the key that's the big secret to our company so we've in the pandemic amassed more than a million photos of skin disease cases from more than 200 dermatologists in more than 20 different countries including south africa india tunisia spain in order to create a representative data set so you just Um, called them up and asked them Yeah, we figured out a way to connect to these dermatologists, get them excited about what we're doing and figure out partnerships. Um, But it's certainly like also a a trickier type of data because photos can be so highly variable, distance away, quality. So we've done a ton in order to clean up that data and make sure it's machine learning usable. Also the labels. I assume the dermatologists are labeling it, but but is it like okay, I know this was the condition, or is it like, yeah, I'm going to put a label on it because I think that's what they had. You know, how how do you, do you have like a quality issue there? Yeah, so there's uh, quality across many different spectrums, quality of photo, quality of diagnosis. Um, And so we do have sort of a standardized method we've built where we know different levels of quality, right? Three dermatologists all agreeing is better than one dermatologist than having biopsy information confirming it was psoriasis or whatever is even, you know, better than that three derm confirmation. So we do have a spectrum of different quality axes. Um, In dermatology, dermatologists are 75% top three accurate which you may say, like, what? That's not 95. 75% top three accurate. Explain that to me. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. So it's just a computer vision. It's more common in the computer vision world, but basically, like, uh, the first three guesses a dermatologist has on a case, uh, they guess the correct disease in that three guesses 75% of the time. Okay. Okay. Okay, so, and then the correct given is when everybody agrees and, you know, like, it's almost like, does the correct answer, is the correct answer actually correct? <laughs> you know, is, is, <laughs> I know, so I mean, I, I think... imagine your engineers have to do a lot of statistical thinking, which is always, you know, which is, which is what we do here, which is great. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, the measure is, did the patient actually get better and respond to treatment? Right. That's dream data that we're building over time, but we don't, you know, we don't have the luxury of that right now, and so we make an informed guest and then also have clinicians um, like verifying the, the right strategy. So how are your engineers training this classifier? Are they using a particular like, um, you know, sort of open source software? Or are they building something in-house, um, convolutional neural net? Uh, how are they doing this? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, PyTorch, we're using PyTorch. Sure. And then we use uh, the Raytune library to select specific hyperparameters. I did ask my CTO that question earlier before this meeting. So oh, <laughs> I nice. could verify nice. that for you. Um, but we do try to just like the cutting edge is always changing in computer right. vision and machine learning. Um, I think our sort of secret sauce has been to amass a unique data set that no one else has and keep supporting that and cleaning it. Um, but that uh, using the best best in class um, uh, tools that are available to do building. Yeah, it sounds like the trick here is to connect the 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 technology available with the with the product, and that's I guess that's what entrepreneurs do. But uh, <laughs> that's uh, um, uh, it, it's always really interesting to see how the whole thing kind of comes together. 
Um, so, uh, do you have any stories about, uh, so how, do you have like, do you have maybe, I don't know if you could give me like your, your, your user numbers, but do you have any stories about, uh, like, um, this product working? Like, does it encourage people to get their skin checked more often? Uh, does it, has it caught some conditions early in some patients? Uh, you know, like the, like the one maybe you had or, or, or for somebody else, like has it started paying off in that way? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So we've, um, we just launched in New Hampshire in late December and Connecticut in, last month. And then we'll be launching within the next few weeks in Massachusetts. Um, but oh, we're nice. only staying in those. New England. Yeah, New England. Those those um, states for now. Prove out our outcomes data, basically, the question you're asking. Um, but we have had quite a few people use our product and then get better. And that's been really great to see. And then we also do have cases where it's like a, a mole underneath a nail where a dermatologist says, hey, this really does need to be seen in person. Right. In which case, the wait times to see a dermatologist can be three to six months or more, especially now post pandemic. And so we're able to get them in with our partners within a week or two. And, and so making sure that if people do have a concerning lesion that needs to be seen in person, that they get that care that they need quickly because they've been already assessed by an expert. Yeah. Yeah. No, th- that, that's good. And I, I don't know if you have like individual testimonials or maybe that's too hard to like get, but do, you, you don't have to like tell me one, but do you get them yourself or I mean, that must be very rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, often like any startup, your first users, maybe friends or family <laughs> members. And so yeah. we've had some more of those cause we're so early in our growth. Um, but it has been really great to see like how people felt, it was really convenient that things are working, that they got to talk to a provider and, you know, ask all the questions that they had to know if it, how the treatment fit into their lifestyle, that sort of thing. Um, I don't have any specifically off the top of my head, though. Yeah. No. So that that's great. I, I was actually wondering if we can go back. Like you said, you started off. You guys are based in Massachusetts, but you started mm-hmm. off launching in New Hampshire and Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Why? Yeah. So a few different factors went into that. The first is need, just wait times to see a dermatologist can be, you know, and are higher in these regions. The wild thing is um, the number of dermatologists per 100,000 people doesn't correlate with wait time which hmm. is like the more dermatologists you have doesn't mean you're going to wait less, which Even I think per is, person. Yeah. Which is That's in, really strange. insane. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but then another factor was regulatory environment um, that, you know, is remote care uh, friendly to, you know, getting paid by health insurance or are there, you know, not protections against that, uh, which, you know, is more of a thing discussed in the pandemic and a few other factors like um, that we are close by so we can be able to support people um, on the ground. And then the fact that they're small as well is that we only need that many, so many partners distributed throughout the state to make sure everyone's getting in-person care that they need. Okay. Okay, great. Yeah. Regulatory environment in New Hampshire, everything's legal. Good to go. Uh, so, um, so in Connecticut, that's great. I, you know, as you know, I grew up in Connecticut, and so did my my co-host Aaron here. Um, I assume you guys are are looking at expanding further after Massachusetts. Yeah, we we first want to make sure we can deliver care at scale, 
right? With a sort of services mixed with AI and tech company, we just need to get more iterations of that. But once we show um, that and we show those improved outcomes, reduced costs, improved access to care data, planning to expand, um, you know, across all 50 states. Yeah. So um, you talk a lot about the like following up with an in-person doctor. What, where do you think this tech is going? Um, you know, maybe in the short term and then the long term. And what do you think is the role of the in-person doctor once once this is kind of mainstream? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, one thing that we've seen that's made access to dermatology even worse is the rise of Botox and cosmetic hmm. uh, procedures like fillers as well, because, you know, those are uh, products that they deliver and get paid same day out of pocket, high margins. And so it can be even harder to see a, a dermatologist for a skin check or a, a concerning rash. Good luck talking to one, you know? And so that's like important, even though like most of the time you're fine. It's like you, you want to be, you, you want to have peace of mind. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, exactly. And so, and, and we've just found that people have a really hard time accessing that. And so, um, how we think about it is um, we can deliver end-to-end care, call in a prescription to their pharmacy and, you know, monitor them if they need monitoring over time for things like psoriasis and eczema. Um, but basically, like, we can serve as a form of triage and then make sure if people need in-person care, they're getting it, like things like suspicious mole biopsies, full skin checks, allergy tests. There are certain things that are sort of out of our scope at the moment, um, but we just want to make sure if people need care that they can access expert care, you know? Awesome. I have, um, I thought of a, a very provocative question and I know you, you seem like you're someone who's very careful when you're answering, <laughs> oh, um, no. but, but you know, and, and, and you're not going to like, you know, you're not going to overpromise or something, but like, do you, th- but, but it, it, even if you're, even if you're not going to do that, I, 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 I want to see maybe what you, um, you know, what you think of the provocative question that I thought up, which is like, do you think that this technology could, um, could kind of just beat in-person, uh, doctor diagnosis, you know, by a large margin one day and make them kind of obsolete? So our AI today is on par with the accuracy level of an expert dermatologist. Um, especially with outcomes data, we can, you know, with more data, uh, get better than a dermatologist, um, which is, you know, a remarkable Mona and Tyne. Certainly in radiology, we've already seen computers um, and, you know, algorithms be better than radiologists at catching things, which is, you know, wild. And so, I mean, it's a, it's a tricky question for me because like we work with dermatologists, we love dermatologists. They're just, so, so in demand, we're sort of, we've created a new model for people to connect with them. Um, but, you know, I, I, there's, there's never going to be a scarcity of people needing dermatologists or demand for dermatology. We're just trying to, you know, deliver it more scale. But I know I'm being, I am being careful on this question. It's fair for you to call me out on that because I think like AI can be really scary for a lot of people, including experts, you know, including experts that know everything about AI. So I think it's more important that it's uh, like designed and executed in an, in an equitable and fair way to make sure all populations can get access to care. We, we've also found, I think, you know, as this technology gets rolled out, the, the things that 
trick the machine are very different than the things that trick the human. Uh, you know, like maybe, maybe it's something where someone has some rare thing where they have like two conditions at once or something. You can kind of figure out, uh, you know, the human might be able to figure out what's going on where the, where the machine can't. Yeah. Uh, so it's gotta have guardrails for sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. At least for the time being, I think people always like to speculate, you know, one day humans being obsolete. I don't know if there's anything we could say about that, um, other than that we're not there yet, but you know, I, I mean, one factor, like you know, there's all sorts of weird biological things in, in medicine that sort of obstruct the just like super computer being able to take over everything. And like one of those is that technically there are 3000 different diseases in dermatology. Wow. So you can build a model that addresses the top 50 most common or critical and get, get 97% of the cases, but you still have that 3% and those 3% still need great care, you know? So right. it is just like, how do we, that's the time when you really need a doctor anyway. It's augmentation rather than replacement, I think is a more helpful framing for AI and healthcare. Yeah. So I, I was surprised that this kind of technology is not already being deployed mm-hmm. on a large scale. Um, <laughs> I had a very serious condition um, like a, a, a year and a half ago. Um, it was ultimately fixed by surgery, thank God, at the end mm. of 2021. But it, it took them so long to figure out what was going on. Um, and I kept asking them as a machine learning engineer, I was like, you have these ultrasounds, you have these CAT scans, why don't you just apply a, a, a machine learning model to it? And they're like, oh, uh, we don't have that. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, so maybe I, I was, um, you know, I was in pain for like six months longer than I needed to be with like a, with, with like a chance of it getting to later stages. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> like, uh, I, I don't know, it feels like, it feels like it wouldn't be that hard to I mean it's hard you know you do do a lot of work but I feel like someone should be doing this yeah so why do you think it's not you know more widespread mainstream um so first off I'm sorry you had that experience and that must have been really frustrating and frankly I've had that experience before as well and it's just like can't you can't you guys just work together um yeah I think I mean there's a lot of factors that go into why ML in in healthcare isn't more mainstream. One is like business models. Doctors get paid on a basis, you know, it's it's very customized per thing, but how much time they spend on something is factored into how much they get paid. And so you're not, sorry, not incentivized for a computer to do it in a second if a human (laughs) does it in five minutes, you know, and, and there are some other things that, you know, impact that. I think of the areas, radiology definitely has the most, um, uh, like, commercialization into the field. Um, But even then, it's got to be some sort of tech-enabled company because it is just, like, a a big cultural change, right? Yeah. Yeah, and it's such... To me, it's, like, always interesting to contrast it with, like online advertising where you just it's so easy to get a job and I've done this to like apply machine learning advanced and advanced statistical methods to um, to advertising to getting eyeballs on screens to you know okay so we sold like a few extra uh, a few extra subway sandwiches and stuff because we did all this math Um, and I, I believe you know I've also done some some work on like some some useful things but it's like 
why don't they do like 5% of the stuff that we're doing on ads <laughs> to, to medicine? It's just, I, it's very, it's very frustrating to me, but I don't, um, but yeah, like you said, it's the cultural shift. It's the, it's the market. There's, there's, and I'm sure you're kind of more, um, personally familiar with it than, than I have. So I don't know if you have anything to add, but that's just I mean, I think the like hardest, the most difficult thing about, you know, having a tech background and being in healthcare is that like, there's technology that was invented 40 years ago that could be game changing toward a lot of areas of, you know, like really 40 years. Yeah. Easily because there's, I mean, we just adopted paper, uh, like electronic records like 20 years ago. And that was based on a heavy mandate and incentives for payment. So I, I you know, it's, it's, um, it's a weird area. Um, but then I think, uh, that it can be more difficult to make faster progress because of regulation limitations. And then just like, you know, conservatism, basically like every, you know, every technology you want to check ABC, XYZ, you know, and make sure everything's equitable. Even if the current system isn't equitable, you know, the new technology has to be equitable. And, and so, um, I think, I don't know. I, I, I wish I had answers for you and we're just, you know, learning as we go and trying to, you know, make a difference for patients and providers. Yeah. So, I, I mean, before we get to the end where I want to, like, tell people listening how they can actually use this thing. But I, I, I'm actually the one thing we haven't covered yet is like, how did you get started? Because you said you were at MIT. Yeah. What were you doing at MIT? And, and like, were you looking for a, a product to the, where there was a need in the marketplace? And, and so like, did you, did you kind of have this idea when you were at MIT? How, how did that whole thing go down? Yeah. So I was in a like entrepreneurship class in IAP, which is the January session where you can basically do kind of like learn whatever you want. That's very different than what you're normally doing. And, um, it was, it's called nuts and bolts of founding new ventures. Um, but I just, thought like, hey, I've had melanoma and there, we have this technology today that can recognize it. Why can't I just recognize it my like my mole so I don't have to go through the pomp and circumstance of trying to find a doctor who will take me and get an appointment, wait, et cetera, et cetera, drive. And, um, and that was like an, the original idea. It certainly morphed since then in order to, I don't know, you know, address a lot of different things, but, um, but I, you know, the first time I pitched it, I actually cried and cause it's wow. just like a very personal thing. And now I've talked about it enough that I, I don't anymore, but, um, I think it resonated with enough people who have had someone who had skin cancer in their life or, you know, had someone who had a medical issue and they were just like, you know, it's, the story resonated. And so I, you know, kept, kept pursuing it. What was the program at MIT that you were in? Did you get into the program to do this, or did you join the program first and then figure it out while you were in that class? Join the program and figured it out while I was in that class. Yeah. Um, and the program I was at at MIT is System Design and Management. Okay. So it's kind of like a you know product design mixed with complex systems, lots of stakeholders, scale. Um, awesome. Yeah. So, um, all right. So you're at MIT and you know, you, you've been pitching this product, very emotional, lots of ideas. When did you start like gathering the data? Like how did you, like how did, when did you decide, okay, I'm really going to get started on this? 
Yeah. Um, so I spent my thesis on this, talked to mm. PCPs and dermatologists and patients to understand the experience, built a model, realized all the different ways things can, can drop in healthcare. And um, I guess the more I learned, the more I was like, okay, this could be improved as an experience for everyone. And I don't know, you know, um, just decided one day like, hey, this is both feet fully in let's figure it out um and then have been fortunate enough to have like a lot of support along the way through you know organizations at MIT and and people in order to get to where we are awesome what was the biggest challenge in getting this thing off the ground for you and for your team yeah um I'd say like figuring out product market fit which is quaint right but um i have like a million side projects that have no product market fit (laughs) and i understand but like i can't stop working on them so i don't know what to do and well i mean this this podcast is actually a a a a a product where i want to find more product market fit anyway (laughs) uh maybe you could help me figure that out but sorry go ahead yeah tell me how, how did you guys figure that out um Talking to a ton of people who could yeah. be potential customers, talking to experts in the area, understanding deeply how things are done today and the variation on how things are done today in different areas and regions, right? It's different for rural, as urban, as all sorts of Boston's a unique medical environment versus other places. And um, figuring out how that it's could match. One of the best places in the world to do medical Absolutely. stuff. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, just figuring out how that matched with... Um, like what we can solve and how we can solve it. Wow. Yeah. That's a, that's, that's a long road. Congrats on taking (laughs) that road. No, it's, 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 I know it's really hard and it's probably very, um, it, it could get, it could even get demoralizing at times, uh, particularly if you're like invested in the project to have to hear, um, I'm sure you've had to hear bad news or people not liking the idea or, you know, um, people kind of, um, you know, not getting back to you or not being very interested. Uh, how, how do you deal with that? Just as a, you know, just as an entrepreneur and a person with a, with a project. Cause I feel like a lot of people deal with that issue a lot. I mean, I think it's, it's still hard. It's, I still take nose personally, which isn't great. And I'm working on it. Um, but I don't know. I mean, it's, it's sort of like with the inform. Okay. That person said, no, here's the reason with the information we have today. Do we think we should still keep going? Yes. Okay, great. (laughs) So like every opportunity could be a learning experience. Some you just need to throw out the window. Um, but, uh, but basically like, is this, is this important enough to keep going? And like, because like the downs, you know, I think also people don't realize the downsides, the downside of pursuing a theme versus compared to the upside like if you really take those evenly and equally, the upside's always worth pursuing. Yeah, 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 for sure. I, I find it's always helpful to like, you know, have some other people in your life, whether it's your coworkers or something, to talk it over with, like a, a friendly group, uh, and to try to disassociate the, you know, the uh, <laughs> the, the, the the just the facts uh, conversation. Yeah. Um, but 
Um, I'm saying like that's my idea. I don't. I don't necessarily always <laughs> succeed in that. Um, so let's get to the like. You know, uh, this is what a lot of people are trying to f- thinking right now. They're like, I got to get something on my skin checked out. I got to use this. Well, what we? What would you tell them? Where should they go? Yeah. Um, so I think it's more straightforward if you're on your phone, but just uh, opening your browser, going to pictionhealth.com. Uh, like Pictionary, but PictionHealth.com and clicking on Get Get Care Now um, and then just getting started. All right. Awesome. Uh, Susan, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, Do you have any last thoughts about our conversation today? And you already said where people can go and and use the product, but where could they go find out more? Where could they um, get in touch with you? Um, You never know who's listening, so... Yeah. Sure, absolutely. So um, uh, an easy way to get in touch with us is just emailing support at PictionHealth.com. We also have, a, I think, a phone number listed on the uh, website that you can call um, and talk wow. to my co-founder and my CTO, Pranav. And, <laughs> um, and basically, yeah, I mean, I just... Uh, I just really appreciate the opportunity to talk about what we're doing. I think what we're doing is, is definitely on the nerdy side, um, but like nerdy in order to make sure care, you know, that dermatologists can manage 10 to 20 times the number of patients they can now. And so that's just what we're, that's what we're trying to do. But if you're a patient in New Hampshire and Connecticut or soon Massachusetts, we'd love to uh, help you out. Awesome. Yeah. No, the nerdy side. I love that. My audience will love that. (laughs) Susan, thank you so much for for coming on the program today. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much, Max. All right. So big congrats to Piction Health on their latest launch in Massachusetts. I know that uh, Susan wanted to make a pun or a story uh, based around the idea of the local maximum. That's something that uh, I highly encourage here on the program. So she sent me the following quote, uh, which uh, she gave to a, a, I believe someone in the media when asked if she had advice, had advice for women in data science. She wrote, don't get caught in a local maximum. It's easy to focus on how to optimize your current life, but important to realize your life may get a little worse in applying for jobs or vetting a startup idea on top of everything else. But that's what opens up the door to get to an even higher local maximum at your dream job or at your new venture. Don't lose sight that you could be at a local maximum because there's likely more out there for you. You just need to do the work to get to the next part of the curve. Well, as you can imagine, I like that. I think that's advice we could all use, and I love the local maximum reference. That's what this show is all about. All right. Have a great week, everyone. That's the show. To support the local maximum, sign up for exclusive content and our online community at maximum.locals.com. The Local Maximum is available wherever podcasts are found. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe on your podcast app. Also, check out the website with show notes and additional materials at localmaxradio.com. If you want to contact me, the host, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. Have a great week. Feel the power.